This episode is brought to you by Canela Bistro and Wine Bar, serving Spanish plates and over 70 wines from Spain in the heart of San Francisco. Visit us socially at Canela SF and canelasf.com. You're listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind with Matt Schuster. We're getting inside the brilliant and delicious minds of remarkable culinary individuals. We're telling stories, cutting up, and breaking it down. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm here with our awesome sous chef, Soledad Castillo. Thank you. Uh, If you want to shout out to her, it's at Soul Chef. Uh, Tell her hello on Instagram. So this episode is with Chef JJ Johnson. This was uh, one of the New York chefs that I interviewed on my last trip. We spend a lot of time talking about rice. And one of the reasons why I wanted you to join me Mm -hmm. here is because you make really good rice. Thank you. And I think for a lot of people, rice is like a mystery, like a challenge. So if you were to, and I asked JJ the same question too, you'll hear later on in the interview. If you wanted to give people some simple steps on how to make perfect rice every time without, you know, getting too caught up on the different grains or anything like that, like, what would you say? Well, my basic rice, usually it's uh, at home. Mexican or Spanish rice, as we know, everyone knows it. I learned from my grandmother, and I remember her washing the starch out of the rice, and I couldn't understand why. But for that particular rice that we made, mm-hmm. you had to wash out the starch. So we'd wash it and wash it, clean it until the water was clear. Mm. Yeah. So after that, you let it dry in the sun. Oh, wow. Yeah, a long process, but it's simple. And after that, uh, you fry it Uh till it's a light golden brown, and then you add your liquid. And basically, it's tomatoes, onions, garlic, and chicken stock if you have, or chicken broth, because you always make that particular rice on a day that you've cooked chicken. So if people are screwing up rice, how do you find is the most common thing that they're doing to screw it up? I don't think they are familiar with ratios. Mm -hmm. Ratios are very important. And ratios can be described in in a recipe, you know, other than a half a cup of this or a cup of that. So I think ratios are very important. If you memorize that, you're always going to have a good pot of rice. Mm. You know what else I've also noticed? If the liquid's too thick... Mm-hmm. Like if it's too thick with like a puree or oh, if the yes. stock's too thick or if yeah. it, it, the rice doesn't seem to absorb it well. It won't. And yeah. it takes longer to cook. Yeah. It's happened to me. You'll end up burning, scorching the bottom mm-hmm. and the grains on the top are still not cooked. Mm-hmm. I think that's why risotto is done the way it is until it's probably cooked all the way and then you start adding the cream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's oh, that makes sense. You leave the fat to the end because it it, it doesn't allow you to cook the rice well. Yeah, I think it's basically just coating the rice grains with the fat, Mm. you know. Mm -mm -mm. Well, you can hear what Chef JJ has to say about uh, rice in our interview, which which we're going to listen to right after this. So JJ Johnson is a James Beard nominated chef. He is a partner at Henry in Nomad, as well as his new restaurant. He just opened a field trip, which we talk about. It's a rice concept restaurant just opened in Harlem. He did a four month residency at Chef's Club in Nolita. He published his first cookbook, Between Harlem and Heaven, and he's the executive chef at the Cecil and Minton's in Harlem. Chef JJ is also a member of the James Beard Foundation Impact Advisory Committee to establish a more sustainable food system through education, advocacy, and thought leadership. He was super fun to talk to. We, We talk about some really interesting subjects and... Are you ready to take a listen? Yes. All right. So here we go. Chef J.J. Johnson. All right. Thanks for joining me. I'm here with Chef J.J. Johnson. What's up? Thanks for coming and uh, participating. Gracious of you. 
Oh, no worries. You got me in like this super cool, dope house in uh, New York City. Yeah, looked nothing, out. You looked out, yeah. So uh, It was scary walking through the hallways. But, yeah, you know. the, the lobby does look a little bit shady and precarious. <laughs> so, uh, but, but the apartment itself is good. So thanks for, thanks for taking the leap of faith. We're just going to jump in and, and I want to ask you who cooked growing up and what did they make? Uh, so there's two cooks in my house, uh, my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother made this like super flavorful food that as a kid, you kind of like, ooh, what is this? And why are we eating this? And she would force feed me things. And my mom cooked like traditional American food that I started to hate as I got older as a kid. So as I got older as a kid, I started looking for grandma's food that wasn't there anymore because mm-hmm. I wanted things that were flavorful and tasteful. Mm-hmm. And... I got stuck with the same meal. I can remember everything my mom cooked. Like Mondays were this, Tuesdays was this, yeah, Wednesday it, was this. Yeah. So, and was she like rushing home from work, trying to get food? Yeah, she was rushing home from work. She yeah. always wanted everybody to eat at the table yeah. together. So that planning was for her too. Yeah, so it was yeah. for her. I, I get so it. Was, I'm a parent was, now. What was Monday night? Monday night was chicken. <laughs> what was Tuesday? Tuesday was pork chops. <laughs> okay. What was your favorite night? My mom makes really good barbecue chicken. Yeah. Okay. Like she gets it to the point where, you know, like it's like... Did you have an outside barbecue or was it like no, it was New like, York inside barbecue? No, I actually grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay, so okay, like it, New, it. it was like inside oven roasted barbecue okay, chicken. Okay. Did she make her own sauce? No, of course just, not. Yeah. she. What, what was her brand? I wish she used Sweet Baby Ray's, but I think it was like... Um, <laughs> Probably there weren't as many choices at that n- moment, right? You know, we had... No, it was like one supermarket yeah, everybody went to. Yeah. Yeah. That's when like Heinz and then we're sure. like crushing Probably. it. Probably. But you know what though? If the chicken was, you know, cooked well, that's already like yeah, no, most no. of the battle, you know? She did so. make, yeah, like, you know how some people give you like wet barbecue yeah. chicken? My yeah. mom's is like roasted really nice and caramelized. Oh, nice. So I give her credit on, on that night. And what would grandma make? My grandmother made her own stocks. She had her own spice oh, wow. cabinet. Um, did she live with you? No, they lived around the corner. Mm-hmm. My grandparents lived around the corner. After they retired from Long Island, they came to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And uh, she made her own stocks, had her own spice cabinet, roasted beets, uh-huh. patty pan squash. Uh-huh. I could still see it as I'm talking to you. Uh-huh. I didn't really care for it. Yeah. But it's funny, the things you don't care for as a kid, you love as an sure, adult. Sure. So, Yeah, because they like it and they're adults mm-hmm. and it makes sense to them. At some point, you realize- I think oh, I would have okay. ate more of it if she was around longer in my life. Mm. But no, good good moments as a, as a young kid. So, and I asked you what was in your lunchbox and told me, you were, <laughs> told me you said, so I love asking l- that question. My lunchbox was terrible. <laughs> my mom used to toast the bread and then put like tuna fish. You would have like the soggy freaking toasted bread with like a Macintosh apple that had like the dent in it. Uh-huh. Okay. So you may not have liked it, but... You know, I've talked to some other chefs who they all, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you, all you want to do is fit in. And sometimes your lunchbox is the biggest way to stick out. And no, so no, I yeah. talked to some chefs that they would get like crazy stuff from their cult, whatever their cult, you know, family culture was. And it would be hard for them to, nobody would want to trade lunches with them basically. Yeah. You know, growing up in the States. Yeah. Did I trade lunch? I don't remember trading lunch, but you're right. Your lunch, like the way your lunchbox looks, yeah, what's in it, yeah. how it smells when it opens, yeah, all those things. How you get judged on? Oh yeah. Like in my school, I grew up in Texas. If you had like the foil wrapped like ding dong, you know those like Hostess, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that was the thing. Is like you had to have like the foil wrapped ding dong, and like, that was like the prize. Yeah. Of, of the lunch. I thing. didn't grow up with the Ziploc bags. Yeah. I grew up with everything in aluminum foil. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. kids will grow up things like perfectly plastic wrapped and. Yeah. Core containers or like this cool lunchbox, <laughs> right. right? Like it'd be like a very chefy <laughs> to, to, go go, to go from the restaurant, right? It'd look all proper and perfect. <laughs> uh, so I love to ask this question also. And I'd asked you a time that you failed. And I liked your answer. So talk about a time that you failed. Yeah, a lot of people think like what I'm doing right now is like my first business. Uh-huh. I think it's like my second business uh-huh. or third. So my first business when I was in culinary school, this guy that when I was in bachelor, when I was in my bachelor's program at the Culinary School of America, you know, Facebook was really in its prime or coming up. And I was like, what about if there's like a web social media website just for chefs, hmm. just for people. And to how connect. long ago was this? 2007. Okay. So that was like, wasn't around. Got it. Nothing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. What are we trying You're to on the this? edge. We're on the edge. So... We would like ask for extra money from school uh-huh. to fund this idea. Uh-huh. And did they? 
Yeah, like because you were like, hey, I want, I need extra money, right? Because I need for books or I need oh, for oh, oh, right? oh god, like, okay. So you, you get like a refund, like a Mr. refund check. I don't know if I that was it. the smartest thing now. <laughs> right. So yeah, that was like our that was like, the school was like our investor, and we we created this really cool idea. It was called Your Palette. It was supposed to be this place of like a communication area for chefs to be able to talk to each other, people in the food industry to talk to each other. But the problem was we didn't know anybody in the tech world. So right. we would hire these companies that supposedly could do it for us right. and they could never do it. They just, they, they just they took talk, our money. They talked a big game. Yeah. Yeah. And it got to a point where it was like, okay, this is never going to work. And I actually found this company in like Romania and their company name was Ria and the guy could do it, but he wanted like 120000 and I was like, I just can't do this anymore. So we just shut down the business and kind of went on with life and lost a couple thousand dollars. Oof. But it was a great idea. Like, look at the food world now, right? Like, I think Eater kind of just started. Mm. Right? Eater wasn't, I think, just started 2007, mm. maybe, maybe. Not even. Mm. Right? I know. You would have been. Food Republic. Mm. Mm. Missed opportunities. But missed what did you learn? What would you go back and Execution tell? is a key, like surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. And but, 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 yours. okay, so let me ask you this question. How do you know? I mean, you don't know what you don't know. I have a friend who says that all the time, right? You know, you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know what you're looking for, like, you know that you can't do it, but you don't so, know who can do it. How do you find that I person? I think you have to really like think about it as like hiring somebody like, for a real position in a kitchen, I'm going to say, right? Because that's what we know. Right. And if I was to do it again, I'd be like, okay, before we go out and like just randomly hire a company that we're super excited to hire, like, let's see the work they've done. Let's contact them. Let's do some reference checks. Uh -huh. Let's just not be young and naive. Right. And some kids are really smart, really young and have capitalized on... And I was a Forbes 30 on the 30 kid and being around some, I call them kid, we're all kids still because like some of the ideas you come up with, nobody would ever believe you. And then you knock it out the park. Right, right. So it's like, yeah, so it's like, okay, maybe we'd have looked at our network and been like, do we know what in the tech world? Do we know any of our friends that are in a different college that know how to do coding? Right. And right. then made them a partner. Right, right. Instead of like yeah. trying to conquer it all by right. yourself, it no, just doesn't, good, doesn't I, work out well. I, I believe in that. One thing that I've learned as I get older is that people tell you, if it's good, sounds too good to be true, it's pro it probably is. Because some people are really good at telling you, you know, what their product can do. We tried switching point of sales three times. And every time we tried a new one, the salesman for that new one would say, oh, no, this solves all your problems. And like, it, and it sounded good enough and it sounded so great. And then we would switch and, and then it would be a different like the problem. Same, yeah. Yeah. The same kind of like level of, of annoyance, but in a different way. Right. So and then we would just like switch back. So I just did that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's I like, try to leave crazy. open table thinking uh -huh. that Resi was uh -huh. the way to go uh -huh. and went on Resi. Sales were good, but really wasn't paying attention to it. We were literally losing like 10 people a day. Yeah. Right. So if we were doing 140 on yeah. Monday, the next week we do 130, the next week we do 120, oh. the next week we do 100. Really wasn't paying attention to the trend. Nobody was looking at yeah. it until you got to doing 50. So why do you think, I'll tell you my opinion, but tell, but tell me why, why do you think that happened? Because I started yeah. when my user base was an open table user base. Yeah. Well, first of all, open table has a bigger user base of people from all over the world looking yeah. to dine and some people come to your restaurant. But it was like the moment I captured these open table folks and now I, I took myself off of open table. Right. I lost all of them. Yeah. Where Resi, I feel like it's just like a certain type of diner and, but tell me what you, what's your thought process? No, I, you're exactly right. And I mean, uh, we pay open table a lot. Tons. Like so much. And you know, open table, if you're listening, uh, maybe you'll sponsor an episode of the podcast. Hey, how about that? We pay them a lot and I never switched. So we opened in 2011 with like, an old fashioned reservation book. What a dumb, dumb idea that is. Because- Was it dumb though? Yes, and I'll tell you why. I mean, for several reasons, but if you have one super knowledgeable person and one person only who controls your books, then it's fine. And, and if they're a good bookkeeper. But if you have like several people in and out of books- Oh, it's terrible. It's, it, oh my God, it's the worst. So we, we, we like did that for like three months, I think, and then we got open table and- I realized that most people, they just know that they want to eat at seven o'clock in a general vicinity and they're fine with going to like, you know, 20 places that have been on their list, right? So 
those people are the ones that are making it worthwhile for you to use OpenTable and pay the money because they don't know you yet. They're, they're learning about you through that platform, right? If you're like a restaurant where, you know, people are just, they know exactly you're, you're number one on their list and they're calling, you know, and, and you have so many people who are calling every day, then, you know, you don't really need it. You people know, say but, it doesn't matter, but I disagree. No, I think it matters. I mean, I wish I can be on every platform. So yeah. now I'm not going to get rid of Resi. Right. Or I'm on both. Right. right. And I see that and it's, that's a, smart. And it's, it's a totally different user. That's smart. Like I'll do... Mother's Day right now, I think for brunch, open table, I have like 70 uh -huh. and Resi have 40. Perfect. It's That's perfect. Great. It's amazing. Yeah. But imagine if you didn't have one or the other. Right. Right. Do you, but you have to limit your inventory on both. We limit our inventory on yeah, both, yeah, but yeah, it, it yeah. allows me to touch two different users. I right. think. No. And Resi I think that's has, a, and, and, you know? and it's two different marketing channels. No, I think yeah. that that's from a, a marketing idea. standpoint. Correct. So this issue comes up a lot with how can chefs be a voice of change? You know, now, especially as retail disappears, well, as storefront brick and mortar retail disappears and, you know, as everybody gets everything online more and more, then at least in San Francisco, I don't know how it is in New York, but in San Francisco, restaurants have just surpassed retail for the dollars that we make in San Francisco. So now food service is making more money than retail shops because, right. you know, retail, I mean, doesn't, no surprise, right? Because retail is disappearing. So it means, you know, even more and more and more, our voice becomes stronger and more heard because people are coming to us more, you know, we're paying more taxes to the city. You know, it's, it's just becoming a more and more powerful industry. So how do we use that power for good? How do you use that power for good and use your voice? And what do you take stands on and you mean by being able to just by by being someone who's got a strong voice in a career that is a strong career so i mean people are listening to you like what do you use your voice for i use my voice in a couple ways i would say on a community level or national level or world level I'm, my biggest thing right now is ending hunger mm -hmm. so teaching chefs that they they can use their power in their own small community 10 by 10 black radius or the small place on the corner to help end hunger with the local food bank or... Mm -hmm. And you do work with the food bank. I work with Food Bank of New York so City. So tell, tell me about that. I sit on their junior board for Food Bank of New York City. I help organize fundraising events. I help organize food pantry packups. I help bring in people that really like outreach to people and uh, for more awareness for, for in the younger category to let them know that they need to be a part of something that's hurting their community. That's what I do with them. Does food justice ever come up in, in, during those meetings, you know, about like getting nutrition to people who really don't have access to nutrition? You know, is it uh, a focus not on just donating food, but the kind of food that gets donated? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, the Food Bank of New York City does a really good job of sticking in that area. Like they're not giving anybody trash. Like mm -hmm. you get some really good things in there. Mm -hmm. And some of the pantries that are associated with the food bank pantries are I would shop in. Mm. And that's great. I think on the on the larger scale, on the, on the nation scale, I I do some stuff with Share Our Strength, which a lot of chefs do. Mm -hmm. But I help lobby so that kids are getting good meals and at school lunch, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or every kid is able to get a school lunch because mm -hmm. we throw away so much food. Mm -hmm. And also, just don't account that everybody wants to drink milk. Like I never knew that's what a complete meal meant. Right. So like, right. if a kid doesn't take a milk carton then the school or the pantry doesn't get the check from the government. Uh, uh. But what about the kids lactose intolerant? Right, 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 right. What right, about, right, right. you know or what I mean? Or if culture just doesn't Culture and drink milk, milk yeah, right? So yeah. then you lose money. So then yeah. certain pantries don't want those kids coming. Uh, so when you talk about up. food justice, like yeah. it's, a, you yeah. know, yeah. it's a lot. Skewed. Skewed, very yeah. skewed, right? Yeah. Um, and then for me, I think for my peers is just, you know, hiring, I think the best employee and make, and, you know, looking at your kitchen and making sure it's diverse. Talk about that. How do you, so is, is it hard to hire people in New York? I mean, San Francisco, we're at 0% unemployment. So it's, oh, it's, wow. it's like you're competing against 0%. Yeah. It's nuts. It's how do they do that? It's hiring for every restaurant that you talk to for every food service. Like everybody, everybody I know is like always a person down. So, I mean, I think you have to look at the different yeah. style of people that you're hiring. Like yeah. it's every five years, the industry will always change. And mm. what does that look like? Mm. I hire people that don't speak English. I hire people that do speak English. Mm -hmm. I hire men, I hire women, I hire African-Americans, I hire white people. Mm -hmm. I might even hire somebody that's homeless mm -hmm. and you find out they're homeless along the way, mm -hmm. but they work really good. So now do I 
let them go because I'm scared they're not going to do their job right now. Yeah. Like I'm typically we're helping somebody get on their feet. Mm -hmm. So I really look at everything and everybody that comes through the door and making sure that it's a balanced place and it really represents, a, you know, the food that I'm cooking, who I am as a person. Well, and you also have an opportunity to kind of swap people around between places, right? Yeah, I mean, right. So I have Field Trip that's opening up soon in, in Harlem between 115th and 116th and Lenox and have Henry downtown. So maybe if like somebody yeah, so know, like kind of doesn't like, work out at one, you could try them in a different you def way. You hit it on the another, nose. Yeah. So like one of our yeah. hostess, she's not really good being a hostess mm -hmm. at the restaurant, but mm -hmm. like, you know, you'd be really perfect at fast casual. Mm -hmm. so why don't mm -hmm. you, so I keep you here. And she'd probably be more happy And she well. lives closer there yeah. and she's like, yeah. I'm on board. So, yeah. you know, so you're able to give- about good fits. Right, so you're able to like make it work. You're able yeah. to maybe train somebody someplace that maybe not doesn't work there, but you're getting them ready for the next place. Yeah. And then for some of the big restaurateurs out there, they should kind of look at it that because they have so many oh, different yeah. restaurants and they can definitely plug and play like, hey, you don't really work at restaurant A, but you might work at restaurant C. Right, right. I always had this thought that if like three restaurants got together, they could share, you know, like a crew. And how do you do that? I, I want to do it. It would have to be like, we're, we're like, all, like, for, like, for example, like we're only open for dinner. So we would have to be in with a place that only was open, open for lunch, lunch. Right. And how, you, you know, like places that made sense, you know, to be complimentary and just a bigger pool of reliable people to schedule from. Right. No, so yeah, don't, I mean, don't steal that. Don't steal that. No, I, I've, I've heard some people will do that. Like, Hey, I only can schedule for 30 hours a week. But my friend has a restaurant a couple blocks away and they're looking for somebody 20 hours a week. Uh-huh. Uh you know what I mean? And it's great because, you know, they're, they're in the neighborhood. I would assume the neighborhood is convenient to them getting there, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you start to get a sixth sense after a while. Like if somebody comes from, they've had to take like three buses and nine trains to get to you. You kind of look in your crystal that's ball a big, and you're like- That's a big LA thing though. Yeah, it, well, it is, but at some point you can see in your crystal ball that like if someone, if it takes two hours for somebody to get to work, they're probably, you know, at some point and in combination of if they're like really very young, they probably haven't figured out yet that they're going to not be into that in like two months, you know? No, so those are great. So any good stories of folks that you really took a chance on that, that kind of got elevated? One of my dishwashers in my early days at the Cecil, we learned as he went, he couldn't read. Mm. And most people would just have kept him as a dishwasher because they'd be like, oh, how he can't read the ticket. Mm -hmm. He can't read the recipes. Mm -hmm. But he can most likely memorize. So, you know, we, there was a cook position opening up. Well, no, actually the wok cook kind of didn't show up that day. And he was like, I can do the wok. I'm like, Melvin, you're from... St. Lucia, <laughs> but not realizing like, oh, there's, there's walks in, in the West Indies. People cook on something very similar, uh -huh, uh -huh. but he, it, since he can't read his muscle memory to remembrance is really yeah, high. It's going to be harder for him. Right. But he was picked up really quickly. And next thing you knew, he was in the, the walk cook. And I tell him all That's the time awesome. that he could probably work in a Chinese restaurant and they would laugh That's and awesome. he could go in there and rock out. Well, you know, there's the desire to be there, which accounts for so much, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that, and that, that's one of the first things I always say is like, I can't make you want to be here. I can do a lot of things to help you, but if you don't want to be here, that's really the only thing that, that I can't help you with, right? Correct. So that desire, you know, it sounds like he, he was like, hey, I want to, I'm not happy in, in just staying where I am. I, I really want to try harder. I wish everybody was like that. Yeah, I think the best awesome. I think the best people to promote in the restaurant industry is your dishwashers. Yeah, you know, some uh, a couple of other people have have that they hire their dishwashers always with the intent of moving them out of dish like in a, a relatively uh, Like short so Julio time. at the Henry was going to start running happy hours so he'll be shucking oysters. Uh-huh. That's a job. Yeah, he'll be when shucking you're, when you're shucking a lot of oysters and I quickly and not and not breaking shells and not like jabbing the shucker into your hand. Yeah. What are you excited about now? Like, what are you working on or what's kind of been in your brain? Right now, I'm just excited about Field Trip opening in Harlem, mm. June 1st. 
115, 116th Street in Atlantic. What state? What stage is the the place in? The right place now? is in a Con Ed gas turn on place. Okay. So we're just waiting for the gas to get turned on. That's good. So, so I, equi equi equipment's in. Equipment's in. Oh wow, everything's in. Everything's so it's done. It's finished. Signs well, up. You're, you're oh well, it's, well it's made, but that's good. That's yeah. good. That's a good place to be in. Great place to yeah. be. Yeah. Managers yeah. hired. Oh, training look at that. starting. Yeah, yeah. We're, look we're, at that. we're ready. I'll. Be, and so this is is this lunch dinner? Uh, this is eleven and nine rice bowl shop. Okay. Five rice bowls, a veggie grain bun, two salads, some crab pockets, nana bread, beer and wine on tap. That sounds fantastic. So what was the inspiration for how did this place look in your head? Does it look like it looked in your head? No. <laughs> it was designed one way and the GC, wind up, one of his guys like broke the wall by mistake. Oh, no. Like, How do you break a wall by mistake? I don't know. I think they were like cutting into the wall, but we went too uh, deep and we found brick behind it. Oh, so that's good. It was it's a good great mistake. thing. So now we have, then we were like, oh, we don't want this. Yeah. And then that's the that whole thing. The whole thing. So the we just thing. like, basically I was like, oh, I didn't need a designer. Yeah. <laughs> you needed like a radar I just to see what was, see what was, was there. Like, right. Hidden exactly. Under, under it. And then how was that menu? Did you like, was the menu... Very clear in your head. Oh, the menu is always there. The menu is based off the five rice grains are all like grandma or grand grandfather rice grains from around the world. Mm -hmm. The flavors come from those specific rices that I've mm -hmm. seen in a place that I've traveled, and that's inspiration. That rice's culture, and everybody yeah. has grown up on it. Three keys to not screwing up rice. So rice is. is of any kind of rice that you that you so choose. So long grain or short grain. Whatever you want. Throw it in dealer's the, choice. Throw it in a pot. Either way, throw yeah. it in a pot. Make sure you don't put too much rice in the pot. That's mm -hmm. step one. Mm -hmm. Most people put too much rice in the well, pot. What's too much? Because people believe that rice doubles in size. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure there's enough room for the rice to grow. Mm-hmm. So most people put too much rice and it oh, can't and grow. The, the, the pot's too small. Pot's too yeah, small, okay, right? Gotcha, and gotcha. then the bottom's cooked, the top's undercooked or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, most people put too much water in the pot. Mm -hmm. So I do the finger trick with your okay. middle finger. Put your finger well, but what there. If, what, what if I say to you, my finger is no, different size matter. than your finger? No, it doesn't matter. No? It works every time. So explain explain your finger trick. Use a finger, middle finger. You'll come to that indent at the top of uh -huh. your middle finger. And, and the water should be right on top of there. I actually learned that from a guy that cooks sushi rice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who probably was cooking sushi rice for like five years. Right. Right. Because that's how they do it. I could never cook rice before because my mom cooked really bad, like Uncle Ben's rice. Okay. Or cooked rice. Okay. And ever since then, it always came out great. And then you just, some rices don't work that way. You just have to know the ratio. Some are like two to one or whatever. Uh -huh. And you just kind of figure it out. And then at some point you should screw it up to figure out, yeah. you know, like. So we have you know a pure saying? brown. We're going to be having a pure brown rice, Texas pure brown at the restaurant. Uh -huh. field trip. A Texmati? No, no Texmati. Like real, <laughs> like real rice. Uh, no, hi no hybridized. No, no, hi no hydro, <laughs> hydro I up, rice. I grew up in Texas. Texas and of course, Marty. like, of course, like as tr in true Texas style, they somehow managed to figure out a way to include the name Texas into a, f a food. Um, it was really hard finding so, basmati rice. Cause yeah. Everybody, like you hear all these stories in, in India that the rice has plastic in it. I don't know how they put plastic in rice. You see these mm. YouTube videos. Hmm. In Texmati, I just don't, I don't want to hydro rice. Right, I wanted right, to find right. it. So I just found it. So it's been great. So, and you did a lot of rice research. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Work with Glenn Roberts, Anson Mills. Uh-huh. Have a couple of rice farmers. So uh -huh. excited about it. A good friend of mine, she works for a, a grain company, and they do a lot of they do a lot a in lot harvest? of different grains. Yeah, in harvest. Yeah, yeah. And and she she also trying to figure them out though because well so well they they also kind of married. They were two companies that that married a few years back, and but she my friend's great, and and I can hook you up. With yeah, her. Hook she's me up. she's a straight shooter like. She's actually from the East Coast, uh, Colleen. Hi, Colleen. Like when Frika like was, you know, kind of coming out, she sent me some Frika. And I don't have it on my menu because it's not, you know, it's not necessarily a, a Spanish or a California kind of thing. And it's not that, you know, that's the main reason why I didn't do it. But I'm probably not going to do Frika as maybe good as someone else is going to be, I think, because I, I just don't think it fits in maybe exactly to what I'm doing so much. But I just love knowing about it. I love knowing. I loved playing with it. I love knowing about it. And and, and I loved like yeah, I just the fact that like I got like a chance to learn about that word. You have like a smile on your face. No, like. because those companies like I think I'm going to upset them a little no, bit. No, no, go ahead. Say it. Because all my rices are non-bleached, non-enriched. Yeah. And yeah. most rice is enriched and bleached. Uh-huh. So when I ask these questions, yeah. they get really like, what, why are you asking that? Yeah. Really? 
Yeah. But even... Because uh, that's the right culture. Okay, so wait, let me ask you a question from, from being a little bit naive on this. What are the main questions that you go in asking? Those are the first two questions I go yeah. and ask. And is your rice, is your rice bleached and uh -huh. is it non-enriched? Uh -huh. Because most rice we eat in Can America, it be organic and Be enriched and bleached? No, why can't it be? That doesn't mean that it's not organic. So it, so it could be organic. And bleached. Most, and, mostly and, rice you get, or it's enriched, right? Yeah. The germ was pulled off so you can yeah. cook it quicker. Right. Something else was ripped off of it in the milling process, right? Right. Then my next question is, can I buy freshly milled rice from you? Mm. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, why wouldn't I want to do that? Mm. What's the... Why, what, would, why would I want aged plastic bag rice? Got it. Got it. So you so, want, like, as soon as it's dried and ready, you want it? Yeah, I want it dried and ready. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, our Carolina gold, our black China rice, uh -huh. our Texas rice will all be freshly milled. Mm-hmm. Basmati's two-year aged anyway, so we'll get. And is that, that something that these companies do in general, or they're doing it specifically for you? Anson Mills does that in general. Yeah, the rice farmer do, will do that for me, but he also does rice the other way too. Yeah, the basmati rice comes that way. There's no way to get freshly milled basmati, and then the our sticky rice. I'm looking at either going the sticky rice company I was using out of Vietnam is no longer around. Mm. Like I don't, I don't. Maybe they got something happened to their rice farm. Uh huh. So I'm looking at a place in California. Okay. Can't think of the name right now. And I'm looking at somebody else I'm not familiar with. So I want to get specific region of like Laos. Mm hmm. Sticky rice. What about what do you think of lotus rice? That have any uh, lotus the brand? No, I'm sorry, bamboo rice. Bamboo, bamboo rice. rice. I'm not familiar with the bamboo rice, but lotus, lotus the brand, lotus. That's because uh -huh. they sell that rice. So lotus the company, uh -huh. they do really good rice stuff because they they like go to the rice farmers and get the rice. Uh -huh. I've always wanted to talk to like whoever runs their company to learn more about them. Uh -huh. But I think as I grow, they'll probably be a company that I will use. Okay, so what's a surprising way to have rice that like bl blows your mind. Cook properly. Cook properly. Well, assuming it's cooked properly, but like I'm saying, like what's like a recipe or a way of eating rice? Kind of. I blows think your mind? Uh, May from Nightshade Kanji. Okay, it's like my, a port, like a porridge, a porridge style. style. Blew my mind. Yeah, why? Like, what she did was she cooked this in like a very traditional way. Uh -huh. It was cooked in water, very white and pearly. Uh -huh. The rice didn't have the flavor, but the way you eat it, you fold in all these other ingredients right, and right, then right, all right, the flavor right. comes together. Right. And you just know that she's been taught that for year after years after years, like in her family being Chinese. Yeah. So I would say that that rice has been really nice. Cannibal in South Carolina. Their crab rice is really good. They like uh -huh. fry the crab meat, make it like super caramel, huh. and then fold it into this like fluffy pilau style of rice. That sounds nice. I was learning about from Pig and Cow yesterday. Leah was talking about a glutinous, pasty, like fried rice ball thing that she showed me a picture of that it's like a rice kind of paste like a glutinous paste and she learned it in was it vietnam yeah she goes and like it looked like a like, a, like, like a, a balloon like has, a balloon she has oh, like a mentor that she goes back and forth to southeast asia and like trains under this person she says most of the food that they cook together she can't use in a restaurant <laughs> why, why she can't get the product yeah and, you know yeah the technique and all this yeah. stuff. They just have those things. Well, just. and Asia's a big country too. I mm -hmm. mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of technique. That's a lot of, I mean, who knows? I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, if you're in a big city, maybe one thing, but if you're in like not a big city, it was harder to get a lot of these items. 100%. And, you know, now it's like, you know, you can get everything very simply. So what's next? Or you haven't even gotten past, I mean, you have, you have a restaurant. No, that hasn't I'm, I'm right yet. here. You know, I hope, you know, this is a marathon for me and I just keep chugging along keep pushing the JJ train and <laughs> there's always some things that, that I'm working on. But right now this is the main focus is getting field trip up and going and seeing how everybody will react to a rice shop. I think everybody's so used to ramen noodles and mm -hmm. I think this is going to be the next movement of uh, how to fuel communities. Yeah. I think a lot of, we, in California, we see a good amount of like rice bowls and things a lot. There was a lot of pokey. Pokey was everywhere for a minute. Was that out here? Yeah, yeah. Pokey's been everywhere, but you're starting to see it scale down. I think it was just yeah. too much, too much bad pokey. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you can get like, you know, cheap kind of crappy frozen fish and crappy frozen <laughs> shrimp and and I or think I hear like or bad sauces. If you, if you flavor it right, you probably are eating the crappy pokey. Yeah. <laughs> crappy pokey. Maybe that's a name and you just put it out there. Like this is just crappy pokey. Okay, so tell me a couple things that you've learned in your career in working in kitchens. And 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 you can call it even like some soapbox advice. Like if you had something that you've learned that you feel strong enough to, you know, to tell the world, what, what would a couple things be? Keep um, your head down. <laughs> let the food speak for itself. I think a lot of chefs like look at chefs on Instagram, like, oh my God, I'm gonna be there tomorrow. Mm. Right. It's like, mm. I'm able to be where I am because the food did the talking for me. Then the other door started opening up. So if your food isn't good, how are you going to be able to do some of the other things? Like, like, how are you going to be able to be on a podcast mm -hmm. and talk about food? Mm -hmm. If when people come to your restaurant, they're like, this is trash. <laughs> no, it's true. You have to, you have right, to keep that, that in that's mind. Your, keep that in mind. I mean, yeah. and that's in any, I mean, that's why I feel like Wolfgang Puck has been able to like conquer the industry, right? Mm. Every restaurant she went to of his, the food was good, mm -hmm. even if he was there or not. And mm -hmm. it felt like it was Wolfgang. Mm -hmm. So I recommend like, keep your head down, let the food talk for itself. Mm -hmm. I've been getting that a lot from the East Coast chefs. Like specifically the keep your head down. And, and I, and I, th I think that's great. I also take that as, and especially like young folks tend to come in and they, they don't really want to spend too long in one position yeah, or one yeah. station, you know? And, and my response to that is like, like, look, you're denying yourself the chance to learn. You need two years underneath you know? somebody to like really get, grasp it. Yeah. Yeah. But not only that, like the higher you move up in position, then you have, you're telling people what to do. And right. so you lose that opportunity to learn you do. and, and learning is learning's fantastic. Yeah. And so, then when you, and then I think when you get to a certain part of your career, hire people that are better than you. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I like that too. To, to talk, talk about that. You got to hire people in positions that just know it better than you. Yeah. That also uh, like frees up your time. Yeah. Like I watch Warren Buffett and um, Bill Gates on this moderated panel and Bill Gates like, Warren, I want to be like you when I grow up. And mm -hmm. everybody like laughed. And I was like, because like you have these two multi-billion dollar dudes sitting next to each other. And he was like, let me show you why. And he like pulls his phone out mm -hmm. and pulls his calendar. And his calendar is like full. Mm -hmm. and he's like, Warren, pull out your phone. And Warren's calendar was typically based on Bill's calendar. Mm -hmm. It was empty. Mm -hmm. And he was like, why? He's like, well, Warren actually hiring practices are way better than mine. Like he has people that really know what they're doing, which alleviates him to time to yeah. do what he wants to do. Yeah. That's amazing right there. That's Where it. I'm the total opposite. I want to have my hands in everything <laughs> because I'm not really, I don't really entrust in everybody because I'm scared they're like going to take the idea yeah, or run yeah. here. Right. So like for me in my career now, is like really hiring people that do things better than I can do. And the corporate executive chef of the Smith group of corner table restaurant group that owns the Smith which we all go to and eat mm -hmm. was my mentor a really long time. And as I was growing, I was like, Hey man, it's really hard for me to find sous chefs. I like, and he was like, no, 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 you're the problem. You have to hire sous chefs to do things that you don't want to do anymore. Mm. Right? Like why would you hire a sous chef to do the same thing that you like to do? That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So you have to hire people that, in positions like, you know what this person's strong at? Now you have them. Now what is the next person going to be strong at? It's going to be their weakness because they have to compliment them. So that's how I... Do you think it's, it's hard for chefs and other people in the industry to hire people that are better than them because they don't want to feel like they're not leading the pack well? You know, and that they're, you know, you that, they, take, that they're not as useful as they used to be. Or I they don't think be, it's right? that. I mean, like, yeah. no, I'm just saying you should like if you're a one unit chef, right? Your sous chef should uh -huh. alleviate you to be able to work on dishes, mm -hmm. new dishes, improved mm -hmm. dishes. That's mm -hmm. how I look at it. Mm -hmm. And my sous chefs are doing like food calls and inventory and hiring and firing and HR paperwork mm -hmm. and write ups mm -hmm. and cleaning schedules and all that stuff that you're like, ah, I don't want to do this no more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you should be like, really be in the kitchen, like working on improving dishes, making them better, new yeah. dishes, no, it's true. you know, part it's of the true. marketing plan. Like that's how I look at it. Yeah. And you're still, you're just leading in a new way because mm -hmm. you have to evolve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're still doing the same thing, you, I think it's a, one of my friends like, bro, you still cook. I still see the same food on Instagram that you cooked seven years ago. Mm. Like, no, I'm not going to post. I'm not putting no new food on this menu until I own my own place. 
Like, so you're literally holding on to these things that you've created today mm. to then put on a menu five years from now? No, you should be cooking something totally different. Mm. Or not even cooking something totally different, but you should be no, able I to like, evolve. I like, I like what you, you said, know what evolving. I mean? No, and that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. And I think even with us, we have items that you know, you get nervous about taking off because they're customer favorites. Oh, I don't right. take anything off of right. uh, the Henry. No? The Shore will be there. Yeah. There's things that are there now. Will I, like the Perry Perry will be there, but some of those components will change. Sure, sure. Right, but people come to your restaurant for their creature of habit. Right, right, right. That gives you time. Yeah, it's a balance, right? right? It's like, you know, you want the stuff that they're coming for, but you also want some new stuff. Yeah. Did I order ramps onto. this year? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Did I do asparagus? I still think it's not asparagus season yet. Yeah. Like I still think we have a bunch of time. Yeah. But you know, for some things in the summer, you'll see. But like, there's the short ribs you always see. Afro yeah. pie you always well, see. And you can't do everything. Right? No. You know, do you like pickling? Are you like a pickling? I do pickling kind of guy. I'm a pickler. I'm what's a grinder. Your, what's your favorite pickle? Or what are you enjoying pickling lately? Favorite's all, always a stressful word. I think you always see pickle onions in my restaurant. But we're doing a uh, we're doing escovitch, which is a style mm -hmm. of pickling. Mm -hmm. Uh, in we, Spain too. Mm -hmm, yep, and yeah. we do it with uh, papaya. Oh, that's cool. And we serve it on our whole fish. Now, where did you? Where did that come from? From Jamaica. Yeah. So tell me, what's in a Jamaican es? Well, I, in Spain they say escabeche, mm -hmm. but in same yeah, yeah. Uh, white vinegar, mm -hmm. lime juice. Mm -hmm. We juice some papaya. Into it too. And papaya is like super um, tenderizing. Super tenderizing. Yeah. Yep. Peppercorns. Uh huh. Tella cherries. Ginger. Tella cherries. Yeah. Tella cherry pepper. Peppercorns. Oh, oh, the peppercorns. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Bird's eye chili. Ginger. Shallots. And then we make the papaya as a base, and then we kind of fold it into some like raw onions and peppers. Yeah, it's pretty um, similar. Yeah. Yeah, Spanish paprika in it because, mm -hmm. you know, come on. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, they got to put their mark on everything. So th that's one of the things I love about, and, and I talk with this about some other chefs, about preserving and canning. And in fact, the chef that I was talking to, Chris Chung from Eastwind Snack Shop, was telling me about, and I forget the name of the eggs in Chinese culture that are buried. Yeah, 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 uh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and fermented and they get, you know, and they're raw, they're raw. And he was talking about that he puts them on like a pork patty. And that's true technique there. Like I would well, never and it's try from, to do it's that. It's from, it's from, you know, ancient times mm -hmm. when there was no refrigerator. 100%. You know? And so, and that, that always like really fascinates me because I think we get into these mindset sometimes mm -hmm. that like, you know, I have a freezer, I have a walk-in refrigerator, I have, you know what I'm saying? So I can buy things that have a short shelf life, but in the day, in the original day, the harvest would come in and, you know, you ate what you could and then you preserve the rest. Correct. And then, you know, at least what, what Chris was talking about was that those techniques became uh, flavors that you crave. They become craveable flavors and they, they were they originated as techniques, you know, just to preserve, but it changes everything, you know, changes everything. Yeah. And I've been saying this to people for a really long time is West Africa, Caribbean, Asia, the cooking techniques, India, Singapore, the cooking techniques and some with some of these like street vendors do, mm -hmm. you can't learn in culinary school. Right. Right. No. Right. If I could do it all over again, like I would literally go work in a hawker's market and say, right, or, or right. like go to Delhi and like. Well, schools, especially in the States, they're all French. Right. And, and now it's, a, and it's a little bit different now, but I remember when I, when I was in cooking school, our international section. What was it? What was the international, international section? It was a supplemental binder that I. Where'd you the, go to school? The, the CCA in San Diego. At the time, it's no, no longer there. But um, now I think it's like the San Diego Cooking School or Culinary Institute, whatever. Great school. We had like the, I think on food and cook. No, not on food and cook. We had the, I forget the textbook. International cooking at CIA yeah. was India. Yeah. China. Yeah. India, China again. Yeah. So it's like. And that was like. You, a whole and world. that was, listen. Yeah. That was the busiest kitchen in the whole school. Oh, are you talking about your practical? No, like, because when you get to a certain level at CIA, you have kitchens and the, right. the kitchens serve the students. Right. Well, oh, in your, in, yeah, in, in the. When in you take the, the 14 days correct. of international. Correct. 
you cooked India, correct? And you cooked Asia, right? But or Asia or China? Yeah. But where's yeah. the rest of the world? And I, right, where's the rest of the world? But yeah. also, like, you were cooking. I remember like making General Tso chicken. Right. Like that's <laughs> not Asian, man. <laughs> no, that's um uh, China. That's like China, yeah, New yeah, York. That's uh, not even Chinatown, New York City. No, no, it's uh the the Pan Express. That's like right, Pan Express. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Or like touch how to use chopsticks. Right. <laughs> and like you're missing out. Like, why didn't we make biryani? <laughs> So why didn't you teach, and it's, you know, like, and at some point it's a trip and I forget when I started thinking about that, but you know, it's really so European slanted, which is the focus of the school. And I get it, you know, every, you know, you have to start somewhere, you have to pick something. Mm -hmm. and, and, and certainly for technique, France is fantastic. No, no one's yeah, going yeah, yeah. no to argue that. that. No right? one's going to argue that. But where is the rest of the world knowledge? And I think how you connect it, right? If you take the five mother sauces, mm -hmm. and like I tell people all the time, like I think West African peanut sauce should be a mother sauce. Oh, and like if that. it's not a mother sauce, then it should be a derivative off of Espanol. Mm. Right? You use mm -hmm. tomato paste mm -hmm. in West African peanut sauce. Mm. And if you use that as the foundation in like traditional cooking schools, mm -hmm. kids will then learn about other cultures right. of food. It's, it's, it, yeah, because people start learning about other cultures through food. Right. Food's always first. Food's first. It's how everybody learns, you know? It's like, you know, you have uh, a foreign food and then you, you realize that there's another country. I mean, at some point when you're a young kid, right, you realize that there's, there's something else. So I think that's a good opportunity to uh, come up with the chefs of the world, a new international cooking syllabus. Yes. Yeah. What would be some of the key things in your world that have been left out besides West African peanut sauce? I mean, there's a lot. Peri Peri, mm -hmm. Yasa. I mean, I, I tell anybody, this is a plug, but pick up my cookbook Between Harlem and Heaven. We mm -hmm. just won a James Beard Award. Congratulations, and thank by the you. Way. Um, and that would be less a foundation, I think, to really help people understand. We call it an American cookbook mm -hmm. that teaches you about international flavors and why how and why African-Americans are built the way they are. Mm. But yeah, West African peanut sauce, peri-peri, yasa. I would say those are the three sauces you really see me use a lot. Mm -hmm. And as a derivative or will tell you that those three sauces tell you three countries right there. One is a West African peanut sauce. You'll see all in Ghana, Senegal, and in Nigeria. Peri-peri mm. you'll see in Ghana and South Africa. Yasa you'll see specifically just the Senegal and every place in the world, regardless if we, if we, I don't know if anybody thinks about, but is a staple for something. Sure. Sure. Right? And if you look at it that way, then from there you can learn more about the culture through the food and understand it. That's great. Any trips coming up? No, you know, I've traveled a lot, working on a Nigeria trip for next year. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. I'll be, yeah, I have some trips. I'll be in Aspen for food and wine. And I'm oh, gonna, nice. going to be in Nashville uh -huh. in September, do a collab with Hattie B's with the field trip rice bowls and hot fried chicken. Oh, nice. Um, you know, always working on something. You never know. My might, might end up in San Same Francisco. Friend. We do Come a lunch. We do a lunch together. That's right. That'd be fun. Super fun. All right. So quick game. Okay. Um, it's called three things. It's not impossible. It is just um, <laughs> your three answers in however you want to say. I'm here. I'm here for you. Completely made up or real. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. So we'll start with an easy one. Well, easy is relative, right? To... So let's say three noises that are specifically New York to you. Woo! Police siren. I know there's one going off right now. Yes. Yeah, I would, I'll agree. The rumble of the hubcap hitting the, what's the thing on the ground? Like some people call it like a manhole, but it's- Oh, okay. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Like we, I don't call it a manhole. Uh, manhole cover. Manhole cover, yeah. but what's yeah, the no, name? But yeah, man, we'll say manhole. The, the lid to get into the yeah, sewer. The sewer, yeah. yeah. The rumble of the hubcap. Okay. Over that, you'll hear it a lot if you really walk, oh, wow. if you really walk in New York a lot. And I want to say the ambulance, but that's like, I feel like yeah. the same as the yeah. police siren. There's no gunshots. You don't hear that thank anymore. Thank God. I mean, you know, thank God. Those would be my three. All right. So, oh, I asked another chef this. Three jazz club names. Three jazz club names? Yeah. But I would only no, know no, that. No, 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 no. Like if you were going to open a jazz club. Oh, what would I, what three, would I call three, it? Three names. Wow. I mean, I worked at the famous Minton, so. 
Like if you were to s- open up your own, I will call it like JJ Soul <laughs> Music. Um, That's one. That's good. That's already good. I mean, you're already starting from a good. I point. mean, if you were in New Orleans, what would you call it? Call it like um, Brass and Rails. Brass and Rails. That's a good. One. I like that. And maybe the last one to call it. It's a vibe. Uh, okay, I like that because <laughs> it's true. It is a vibe. It is a vibe. Speaking of New Orleans, we went and saw um, Hades Town last night. Oh, how was that? Freaking fantastic! It's like, uh, like very New Orleans kind of vibe, and like uh, it was crazy. It was really good. All right, three fears. Everybody, three fears. Every, everybody's got fears. I used to be scared of the Mona Lisa when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, uh, do you like have this like random? A- my, my grandmother used to have like a picture of the Mona Lisa in her house, and like this random lady like watching you everywhere you go. Right. Okay, like with like the Scooby Doo kind of eyes. Yeah, that, like, follow like, you around. what okay. is going on right. here? Like a little kid. Um, I think everybody's scared of snakes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. It's like this slithery yeah. kind of. If you're not, you're already like I may be a little scared of you if you're not scared. Right, of but snakes, I'm like I'm know. good, but I'm yeah. I'm not gonna be scared if you're over there. But <laughs> I think everybody's scared of snakes. But like the ones who like have them and pick them up and like they like crawl. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Stuff yeah. Like that. I, I, don't, I don't quite get that, but you know, to but each me, their own. me either. You know, everybody's you know has their things. Uh, what's the last <laughs> thing I'm scared of? <laughs> I'm still laughing on the Mona Lisa because I think that that's fantastic. Uh, Last thing I'm scared of? (laughs) Parking lot driving. Driving in a parking lot. I got in a car accident in a parking lot once. What happened? I was randomly like, stop, look both ways, uh-huh. went, and all of a sudden this lady just came like at 45 what, miles an she, hour. Was she was She, she was up? definitely drunk. I was like dating oh, this no. girl in college and she couldn't get out the car. And she was like, if I get out the car, this lady's drunk, call the cops. Oh, no. But she couldn't get out the car, but she literally messed my whole car up. And oh, then, you no. know, in a parking lot. Yeah. And like that, I think the fear to call your mother to tell her and your dad, like, oh, we got in a I car know. accident. I and. Know. Oh no! Yeah, you know what? That, so it's still to this day when I'm in a park, like driving, I'm like you're halting, on alert. You're on alert. Super alert. Yeah, man, those are good ones. Okay, I'm gonna laugh about them, <laughs> Mona Lisa. I asked some chefs, and they're like, "Death." You know, I'm afraid of dying. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's true. I mean, we, you know, and never, and yes, I mean, if you took a survey of the of the country, probably many. My many my great aunt was scared of death, and she lived to 102. Wow. Literally, she would say in English and Spanish that she was scared to die. Wow. Everybody in the family knows. 102. That's amazing. I I watched this. I was coming on a plane and and I was watching all these TED Talks because at some point, you know, movies just get like too much. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, there was this one I was watching on people who live the longest. And they say it's people who have like beyond like exercise and like smoking and all of that. It's people who have strong social networks, people who have people around them, people who, you know, say hi to the mailman and like people who like like to generally be around people and have social networks. Those are the ones that seem to live the longest life. Really? Yeah, I know. Maybe that's why my grandfather's still gone. He had all his grandkids and it's like people around him. He always had people around him. So it keeps your body flowing. Yeah. Keeps you alive. All right, if you want to check out JJ Johnson socially, at Chef JJ, at Henry Nomad, at Field Trip Harlem, make sure you go check it out. And chefjj.co, C O. JJ, thank you so much. This was. Nah, this thanks was for having me. It was yeah. a great conversation. Yeah. And uh, well, that was the first time I ever brought up the Mona Lisa before. I so know. All I'm, good I'm, stuff. Honestly, like, I'm going to laugh about that like, <laughs> like for the next couple of days. All right, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Food, Wine, and the Culinary Mind. Find us on all things social at Culinary Mindcast and on the web, canelasf.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to rate us where you found us.